Good morning. Or Sabah Hil. Um, and that would be Egyptian Arabic and saying good morning. It's can you all hear me okay? Oh, you guys are all scattered out. It's like um, everybody's in their own little group way out there. And yet we're one family, and it's nice to see familiar faces. I mean, look at Doug McGee. He's like half the man he used to be, and I've gone the other way. I look at Taylor Gates, and I think, wow, that's what Moses must have looked like when he was on earth. But so many familiar faces, some new faces. I'm Mark Stevenson, and um, we have had the privilege of being a part of this community for a number of years, and then last year, we moved to the Mideast, and so that's where we live. Um, it's our, our, we don't worship on Sundays because Sundays mornings you go to work. Sunday through Friday is the work week, but we meet on Friday mornings. So it actually feels a little bit strange to be here on a Sunday morning. It's like people should be at work or people, kids should be in class. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you to this community, this church for supporting us, for caring for us, for praying for us. Your prayers have carried us. And in a way that I don't quite understand, God uses our prayers to work with us to accomplish what he wants to do. So I want to say thank you on behalf of my family. Thank you very much for your love and for your care. We'll be here for about three more weeks. And so if you're interested in hearing about what we do in a little bit more detail, um, let me know. And um, our, our schedule is a little bit fluid, a little bit open. So if you, again, if you're interested, we'd love to get together. Well, today, what I want to look at is um, something that, a, a psalm that everyone's familiar with, okay? If you only go to church on Easter or Christmas, you probably know John 3.16 and Psalm 23. And how many of you know this by heart? Okay, don't be afraid. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to give you a test or anything like that. But probably even our Chinese friends would know it in Chinese for sure. And the first part says, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? I lack nothing, okay? There's nothing that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And that last part is what I want to talk about today. He refreshes my soul. What does that mean to you? When you think about that, refresh my soul, a lot of times, especially in some parts of the Bible where the literature is very allegorical. There's a lot of metaphors. It can be a little bit strange living here. What does it mean? Um, if, you, if you say, the Lord is my shepherd, how many of you know a living shepherd? Somebody who actually takes care of sheep, yeah? Okay, that's right. Joanne just got back from Mongolia. Wow, then you probably saw lots of shepherds. You live with them. You're calling your husband a shepherd. Okay. Um, I won't touch that one. But anyways, most of us today, we don't really know a shepherd. You know, every once in a while, you see a shepherd walking through, crossing the street around this area, right? And you see the goats and the sheep, and they're quickly on their way. So when we says, the Lord is my shepherd, okay, sure. It must be something good, but we, we have a little bit of trouble identifying what does it really mean. One thing that's been very beneficial to us living in the Mideast is so many of these stories in the Bible, so many of these allegories, so many of these settings come alive. 
because we can suddenly see, ah, that's what it meant. Oh, that's what it's like. And honestly, even though we're in an Arabic setting, it's not so different from Israel. And when I think of Jesus and the things he said and the things that he presented to people, he's much more radical than I ever thought of him in my Western setting. And I think, wow, he really went against the grain. Talking to that woman at the well, he really did something different. And so for him to say, in the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd, we know what it kind of means. But I want to go, what does it mean to restore your soul? How do you restore your soul? What do you do? Is there a formula? If your car doesn't work, you just go and get it fixed. If your AC doesn't work, especially these days, I pity you, but you do what? You call someone in to fix it. How about your soul? What is a soul? We use that word so often, but sometimes we kind of have an idea. Your soul is who you are. It's your thinking. It's your creativity. It's who you are made up to be. That's your soul. So to restore your soul means to restore you. When you think of restore, there's a re at the front, means to bring back, to go back to something, to refresh, to restore. Okay, it's summertime. And summertime for many people is a time to go on a vacation, like Mongolia, um, a time to get refreshed, a time to get away from classes, time to get away from work. Um, you go on a vacation to do something, to get some kind of refreshment, whatever that looks like. And it may look like different things to different people. But the idea is to get away from the norm and to get your soul refreshed, to get your body refreshed. When I was in college, um, I noticed after a few years that my GPA, my scores were very high for the fall semester. And then they kind of gradually dipped a little bit. By the time I got to spring semester, those were usually my most difficult classes. Not because the classes were hard, but because I had worked all summer and got a break from sitting in classes and reading books and studying. And so that by the time I went back to college in the fall, I was hungry to learn again because something had been refreshed. Um, but by springtime, especially in Minnesota in the United States where the sun finally came out in the middle of May and the snow had finally melted, it was hard to sit and study during that time. And so my grades went down a little bit. We often know we need help, but again, like I was saying about the car, if you're driving a car and your car makes noises, you may not know what's wrong, but you know something's not right. If the AC feels a little bit warm and it's making noises, and if I ask you what's wrong with your air conditioner, you'll usually say, I, I don't know. We need to have somebody see it. We need to have someone come and fix it. You know something's wrong, but you don't know exactly what it is. And the same with our souls. You can tell you're either too busy in your mind or too many things are going on. You're too short with your temper. You're not very patient. You're not very loving. But if I asked you specifically what is wrong, you probably wouldn't be able to say. And yet here it says, restore my soul. Bring it to a place of peace. Bring it to a place of contentment. Bring it to a place of joy. Now, a lot of times we look for refreshment in things that don't really refresh. Um, if you're in sports, you know that if you are playing a game of basketball, if you play uh, soccer um, all Saturday afternoon, the last thing you need is Coca-Cola. You know what it tastes like, and it can quench some aspect of your thirst, 
but drinking coffee, drinking Coca-Cola after sweating and really working out, everybody who does that knows this is not really the answer. It may taste good, your tongue might be happy for a little while, but your body won't be happy. It doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill. You know you need to either get Gatorade or you need to get water, something like that, to really satisfy. And a lot of times we're the same way. We look for things that we think will satisfy. If I just go see another movie, but then after that movie's over, you wanna see another movie, or another movie, or a season of some show that you like. And when that's finished, what is your feeling if you really like the show? You wanna watch something else. Another season. Well, there's always six more seasons, and you can binge watch and go on and on and on. Or video games. When are you satisfied? One more game. One more hour. One more level. And it's purposely designed that way so that you don't say, halas, enough. I'm done. That was good. That was it. But no, you just keep going and going and going. There's lots of ways, like Rick was saying earlier, when things finish, I'll be happy when this is all done. I'll be happy when I understand. I'll be happy when it's complete. I'll be happy when my marriage is better. I'll be happy when my kids are finally studying. I'll be happy when I get that raise. And so there's always something out there. There's always, marketers know this and that's the way they design things. And it's, it, we, we give into it very, very easy. We're like fish that see the hook and say, oh, okay, we'll go. Now, many things are not bad in themselves, okay? So please don't think that I want you just to stay at home and look at the wall all day. But knowing how much is enough sometimes is really hard. A friend of mine once said, I know how to take a break. I just don't know how to get back to work. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Because once you take a break, once you stop, once you slow down, how much is enough? When you eat, you're full, and you know if you eat anymore, you're going to throw up, and that'll be embarrassing, so you stop. But mentally, spiritually, if you fill your soul with fluff, with candy, with TV shows, with video games, with even events, whatever it takes, there's never enough. And it's hard to stop, and it becomes an addiction. Because you can't live without it, you don't know where to stop. Everyone has a thirst. So let me ask you, what's your thirst today? And what's leading you? Is the shepherd leading you, or is it your thirst leading you? I just want a break. I just want peace. I just wish this would be over. Is that leading you, or is Jesus leading you? And if you think about it carefully, where do you drink from? Do you drink from the well that's very deep and satisfies, or do you drink from something else? A lot of times we don't know how to get satisfaction. We don't know how to restore our souls from God because we don't really trust him that he can do it. After all, you can't see him. What can he really do? Oftentimes we think, well, I will serve God if it looks this way. I will follow God if I know what's next. I will trust God to restore my soul if I know how it goes. And yet God doesn't promise that we will know how it ends. God doesn't promise that we'll do things the way that we would like him to do it. But he says, I will satisfy, I will restore. Um, so we're not really sure. If you're in a lonely, quiet place, 
God says, will you trust me? Follow me rather than your thirst. And oftentimes that can be hard. Now, all of us probably this morning have something that's not quite right with God. Or, or maybe even the people that are sitting next to you. Maybe you yelled at your kids today. Or maybe your kids yelled at you. Or maybe you yelled at the driver. Or maybe you were angry because the bus was late. Um, maybe that's still in your mind. Still kind of over there. Or maybe you're thinking about Monday when you have that meeting. Or you're trying to see how can you make that deal a little bit better? How can we step into negotiations and get what we want? There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to go on in your minds. But you can look in the wrong place. Oftentimes, if you're not here, you're here. You're not here. Now, what do I mean by that? If you think about the past, if you're still thinking about what happened this morning, if you're thinking about what happened a couple days ago, then you're not here. Your body's here, but you're not here. Or if you're thinking about the future and what needs to happen and how you, oh, there's that sale, but it's only today. Or there's other things that are going on, then you're not here. You're here, but you're not here. And it takes being in the present. We were wired to be in the present. We're created to live in the present. That's where you find peace and joy that Jesus promises. If you're living in the future or living in the past, you can't have that. It's only in being in the present. But a lot of times, that can be hard. Jesus, what does he say to us as the good shepherd? He says, come. Now you notice here, it doesn't say, the Lord is my cattle rancher. Okay, it says a shepherd. What, how many, have any of you grown up or been around cattle or been on a ranch? Anybody? Okay, Mike has. So you know that cattle need to be driven. You can call them all you want. You can say whatever you want. They won't come. They need to be beaten. They need to be driven. Okay, if you watch cowboy movies, you'll see them ride horses around and get them going. Sheep are not like that, though. They'll recognize the voice of the shepherd and they'll follow so Jesus doesn't say to you, I am the good cattle rancher. Turn around and I'll beat your butt so that you go. He says, come. Come. I'm the good shepherd. Come. In, Psalm, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Your souls will be restored, in other words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when you look at those words, okay, come to me, we understand. All you who are weary and burdened, yep, I get that part. And I will give you rest. Wonderful. Take my yoke upon you. What on earth does that mean? My yoke. If you've worked with cattle, if you've seen horses, whatever, a yoke is something that goes around their neck. And usually a yoke is meant connected with slavery, connected with chains, connected with something that you are bound to. And yet he says, take my yoke upon you and you'll have rest. And it doesn't really make sense. I mean, not for us. Because, it, and even for the people who heard this for the first time. And Jesus is saying, take my lordship. Do things the way that I want you to. Obey me, follow me, and you will find rest no matter what. Now, with the yoke, it doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want and you'll be happy. A yoke has restraints. A yoke means the one who is the master, the one who's the leader, the one who's the shepherd, 
is the one who is guiding, the one who is leading, not yourself. It means being connected all day, through the day, every day. Being connected all day, through the day, every day. Now, this is wonderful. We're all here on Sunday morning. We're talking about God, and you probably have a good feeling, and you're excited and think, well, I'm moving closer to God. What will it be like this afternoon when you're tired, or tomorrow morning when you're in the office? What will that be like? God says, stay connected to me throughout the whole day. What does that look like? Does it seem strange? Does it seem, well, I don't don't know how to do that. A lot of it depends on who you think Jesus is. If he's far away and he's kind of interested in you if he has time, then it'll be hard to stay connected to him. But if you think he's a God who is intimately concerned, intimately close, and he's not far away, he goes beyond my understanding, he goes beyond what I can comprehend And so, what does that look like, played out, worked out in my real life? Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, this is wonderful news. This isn't just kind of, that's not bad. That's pretty good. No, this is wonderful news. This is fantastic news. I am the truth, the way, and the life. I tell you, I don't know anyone else on this earth who can say that. Well, you can say it, but no one will believe you. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is incredibly rich, and it's worth us to pit everything into that. It's worth us to bank all of that, all of our lives, all of our savings, all of our emotions, all of our friends, relatives, to bank everything on that. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. I've put my hope in many different things And some things kind of came through okay, other things really disappointed. But he does not disappoint. Is he unexpected? Oh, for sure. Is he predictable? Not always. Is he trustworthy? Absolutely. So what is it like to have your soul restored by this Jesus? What is it like to be connected with him throughout the day? I'm going to give you three things that I think will help you practically, because otherwise this is just kind of nice and that old guy with white hair up there saying some crazy things, but they sound interesting. But how about in our real lives, what is it like? So if we go to the next one there, being slowing, reconnecting, and flowing. Now, what does it mean, slowing? Is that hard to stop? Some of you, I saw your faces look up like, what's wrong with that guy? It's hard for us to slow down, and especially in this culture. Those of you who've lived in Beijing for a while know that Beijing culture goes at about 110 or 120 kilometers per hour, even in an elevator. People are busy, and they're busy in their minds. A lot going on. I want to make a description, though, between busy versus hurried. Okay, busy, we usually think, okay, yeah, I'm busy, I'm busy. If you ask people here, you know, just so much to do, so many things. But think about it. Jesus, when you look, especially if you read Matthew, you look at his story, 
And there's a lot of immediately, suddenly, at once, after that. And, and it's just like, whoa, Jesus was going and going and going and going and going. And even when he tried to take a break, people were still following him and they still listened. So Jesus was busy, but he wasn't hurried. In his heart, he had perfect peace and he only did what the father told him to do. And you could look at his schedule and think, wow, the father really was beating him like a cattle or something. No, because he had the capacity to have peace even in the middle of a busy schedule. But other times you can be hurried in your mind where there's so much going on and so much going on and so much going on. How many of you know what I mean? Okay, those of you who don't, praise God. Okay, alhamdulillah. I'm glad that you don't know what that is like. My wife used to say to me, you're actually not that busy, but you're busy in your mind. And my response would be, what? <laughs> because it was hard, it's hard to listen when you're busy in your mind, isn't it? So many things, how do I figure that out? How do I do that? Um, Jesus was busy, but he was not hurried in that way. Even though outwardly so much was going on, inwardly he had peace. Um, when you're going, and again, when you're going too fast, you're not where you are. When you're going too fast, you're not where you are. So you have to be intentional about slowing down. Here's what you can do that's very practical. Today or this week, try sitting in a couch or sitting in a chair, not at a bus stop, not someplace where you're forced to be quiet. You're forced to wait. That's not what I mean. In your house, in your home, in your apartment, sit on your couch for five minutes and do nothing at all. Don't look at your phone. Just sit and be quiet. Don't go to sleep, <laughs> but be quiet for five minutes. And for probably it, the first time, it's very, very hard to do because you think, wow, there's so much going on. How can I possibly slow down? How can I do this? When you go to the grocery store, if you're standing in Walmart, or even if you're standing in Jenny Lou's when it's really busy, the first thing is to think which line is shorter. Okay, there's 20 people there, there's 18 here. How many things do they have? Oh, she's got a small bag with only a couple things. Whoa, that lady's got a lot, okay. And do you ever do that? I do that, you know, when I get in line, especially because I know I need to get out of there quick and there's something else I need to do. What's interesting for me living in Egypt is the Egyptians are slow. And here I notice people are in a hurry and they get going. And sometimes if I'm in a supermarket, this is how people take things out of their cart. And if I'm in a hurry, I'm standing behind them thinking, do you want me to do that for you? <laughs> I can do it a little bit faster or I can just throw it all on the floor and go ahead of you or something like that. But what it does is those kinds of incidents, those kinds of circumstances, and sitting on the couch doing nothing show you the speed of your heart. Shows how fast you're going, but it also is like the gas meter in your car shows you how much you have or don't have. Because it is hard to stop. So go, the next time you go to the Shirchong, next time you go to Walmart or whatever, intentionally pick the longest line. And you think, wow, this guy's really nuts. 
But we have to do exercises to strengthen our spiritual muscles to slow us down. This is not our default, okay? This is not what we do naturally. It won't come easily, it won't come naturally. You intentionally have to slow down. To stop in the moment and say nothing. Um, I actually, even though we live in Egypt, I spent the summer in the States. Um, I was going to be in a, I'm in a degree program at Fuller Seminary, and most of it's online, but every couple years we have an um, intensive two-week of classes. And so I signed up, we bought our ticket, I think maybe in January or February. I signed up for it, and I thought I was going to be in classes all day, and I knew it would be really good and worthwhile. Instead, something happened on my side of the family, and a family member was in a little bit of trouble. And so my wife and I, we decided maybe I need to skip the classes, still use our ticket to go to the States, but to work with this family member. And so for us, this was a little bit of a surprise. We decided about three weeks before I actually went. And I knew, I thought, we, could, we, we have, most of the time, we have enough to live in Egypt, but not in America. America is, you know high-priced and everything else, and we had no budget for it because it was kind of a last-minute decision. And so I wondered, ooh, how are we going to survive there? And so I sent out an email asking friends. I said, hey, does anybody know if there's like day jobs that I can do maybe a couple days a week? I was there for the family members, so I wanted to put a lot of time into that, but I also knew we didn't have much money. And so a friend of mine said, hey, Mark, uh, my, my painting business is just booming. I've got more than enough work. I would love to have you come. And I thought, okay, all right, sure. I don't really want to do it. I'd rather be studying or I'd rather be, you know, meeting with people. I'd rather be doing counseling. And I'd rather be doing this and this and this and this. But I need money. Okay. And you know what? When I got on the plane to leave Minneapolis to fly out, when I looked back, when I debriefed, what were some of the highlights of my time, my three weeks in America, the painting was one of the highlights because it provided me a chance to slow down. And as I was painting, I could think. I had time to pray. I had time to think through solutions. I had time, I had a connection with God all day long. And so what I meant just to do economically to help us out, God actually said, I'm providing a way for you to reconnect with me. Um, our spring had been very, very busy. There was a lot of traveling, a lot of going, a lot of things happening. And actually it was the perfect anecdote for my busy heart. And the guy said, thank you so much for helping me. And I said, no, scraping off a wall, painting a building, actually for me was very therapeutic and it was God's provision for really slowing my heart down, for restoring my soul. And so that was one of the highlights. Now, some people like to do gardening. Some people like to do something else. Maybe if you're ironing, that's a way to slow down. Find out how you can in your life. Where are those moments? Where are those times when you can stop, when you can slow down, when you can be with God? Now, people in Beijing, we are so, so, so committed to our telephones. Um, anytime we're at the bus stop, anytime we're waiting for the DTA, anytime we're waiting at all, the first thing that happens is pull out your phone. 
And we are in trains where you're so close you could even read other people's phones if you wanted to. People, we are so committed to being on our phone. Why can't we have that kind of a commitment to God? And maybe you heard me say this before, but I always think smokers are very committed. They will go out in sub-zero weather. They'll go out in a sandstorm. They'll go out in a snowstorm. They'll go out in a blizzard. They'll go out if it's raining and find some place to light a cigarette. And in America, most public places now are like Beijing where it's no smoking. So they have to go farther now to find a place to smoke. Amazing. Why can't you be that way? Why can't we be that way with God? To slow down enough in those moments when you pull out your phone, in those moments when you look at another movie of Netflix, when that moment when you go back to your game, and that moment when you look over your email, what about not doing anything for a couple minutes and just speaking to God? I want to challenge you, try it. See how he restores your soul. Reconnecting through those ways, again, Jesus said, come. And when he says, come to me, when he says, follow me, it's not like, hey, get down here right now and follow me. The Hebrew for that is basically coming up, I hope you don't mind me doing this, taking your hand and walking together. That's what it means, thanks. That's what it means, follow me. It doesn't mean, hey, get here, I'm waiting for you. He comes, he takes the initiative, he comes, takes your hands, and says, walk with me. That's what he means when it, it, it doesn't mean, he's not saying, have a quiet time once a day. He's not saying, read your Bible when you have time. He's not saying, go on an outreach. He's saying, follow me and walk with me. And that's what the connecting is really like. Now, if you reconnect with God, then you begin flowing. And it becomes natural the more you do it. It's the same way with riding a bicycle, same way with learning a language. It's not natural, but if you do it over and over again, if you pray when you're washing the dishes, it will become natural for you. Um, where we live, five times a day, we hear, Allah Akbar. And it's the five times call to prayer. And depending how close you live to the mosque, it can be a little bit jarring in the beginning. But now, we're used to it. We don't even think about it. Sometimes it kind of helps because you realize, oh, it's 3 o'clock, or around 3 o'clock, or 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, that's when it starts. And I started thinking, actually, when I looked at the words, some of the words are wonderful. Calling you come. Come to pray. Come to him. And actually, there's a wealth in there. But I thought, why can't I do that? When I was, I was with my sister who lives in Colorado, um, Bokeh and I had met with her in May when we were in America. And remember, all of a sudden at 3 o'clock, she had an alarm go off on her phone. And I said, what's that? Do you have to leave? And she said, no, I have to pray. I was like, what? She said, that's what we're trying to do to slow our lives down is to have alarms to stop and to pray. And I thought, well, that's real similar to the call to prayer. Reminding you, don't forget why you're here. Reminding you 
who you are and who he is. Jesus said, finally, I'll finish with this. Jesus said he's the bread of life. In John 6, 48, he said, I am the bread of life. Now, what do you think about that when you think of bread? I am the bread of life. You know, maybe if Jesus had been born and raised in China, he might be the rice of life. But the bread of life, bread of life for most people doesn't really mean very much. When you think of bread, what do you think of? Calories, sugar, flour, calories, more sugar, more flour, calories. And so in today's day and age, especially in many parts of the world, bread is not something that you really want. Jesus didn't say, I'm the candy bar of life. He didn't say, I'm the jowls of life. Okay, but living in the Mideast, you realize bread is at the foundation of how they eat. It's like if you have nothing else, you better have bread. It's like the very bottom line. You will see people out on the streets selling bread. It's all government subsidized. So that even if you have no money, you don't have a home, at least you can buy bread. And the, the Arabic word is aish. And the Arabic word for life is aish. Did you catch that? First time I heard that, I thought, wow. So for them, when Jesus says, I am the bread, the aish of life, aish, it's the same. It means he is the one that sustains. He is the one that fills you. Now, if you go to other places of the world, you can find really good bread. You can find really expensive bread. Even in Egypt, everybody knows the Egyptian bread is not bad, but Iraqi bread is really, really good. And that's like a couple grades up higher. Um, Syrian bread is, eh, it's okay, but Iraqi bread is like the best. And so if you have a choice, you'll go for that. Oftentimes, we think of Jesus like the Egyptians think of the cheapest bread. If I have no money, if I have no problems, or if I have no solutions to my problem, if I have no house, then I better get that bread of life. Because I know I can always get that when actually Jesus is the most expensive bread as well. And he is what sustains us. Um, Egyptians, Arabs, Israelis, they all know bread is our sustenance. This is what we live off of. Living off of Jesus helps you to be slow, helps you to connect with him, and out of you will flow living waters. He is our sustenance. Your refreshment needs to be him. Other things might be good and wonderful. They're not bad. But make sure that he is your sustenance. Make sure that he is the one who is meeting your needs. Otherwise, you will be like someone who runs a marathon and at the end of the marathon takes a Coke and drinks it. it tastes good, but it doesn't satisfy. He is the one that's satisfied. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life, but you're also the richest dish of life. You're also the most expensive, the best tasting dish that we could ever imagine or long for or hope for. You are our all in all, you really are. And so God, we wanna to say to ourselves, awake my soul, awake. Look to the one who can really fulfill you. Look to the good shepherd. Look to the one who sustains, who feeds, who fills, who satisfies. And Father, we will say we trust you. 
We trust you even to experience what we have not experienced yet, but we will look to you. Meet us, God, and show us more of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.